time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. It was about a year ago when my wife and I were up in the mountains in North Carolina. Uh, We had already visited uh, my son for his kind of his uh, parent weekend at college, and then we spent a little more time in the mountains. And when I'm in the mountains, I always like to grab a few mountain runs, a few trail runs uh, myself. And I usually get up in the morning early and kind of head on out and find a trail. So last year, we were on a different area than I'm used to. We were on private land. Usually we had been close to public land, public trails that kind of were well-maintained. Some of them even had signs pointing the way, but they were pretty clearly marked. But this time we were on a piece of land that was adjacent to a boys' camp, boys' summer camp. But it was October. Boys' summer camp ended uh, in sometime in August. There had been plenty of fall that came between then and, and that, at that point. And so there we were on the grounds uh, staying for a couple of days in this really old, rustic, uh, kind of basic one-room log cabin. And so I talked to the people who were taking care of the grounds. And I said, hey, is there a trail I could run? And the guy said, oh, I, tr- I run the trails all the time. There's, there are several different trails. And he pointed up how you, you kind of run the edge of the property and how it forked up. And he kept des- describing for me how it forked off as you moved up the mountain. And he told me that if I took this one path, it would take me right up to the top, the summit of the mountain. He said, if that's what you want to do, you know, get to the summit, that'd be great. And I said, oh, that would be so awesome. So the next morning I got up bright and early, put on my clothes, pulled on my shoes, grabbed my dog, and we hit the trail. And we climbed and climbed. And sure enough, I found the trail just like he had said. And as we got to the top, my dog and I, I mean, it had been a pretty good run. My dog and I sat down kind of on the summit. It's a rocky summit. And I was looking all around me, enjoying the view until I turned around to figure out how to head back. And I realized that every little path looked the same from the top. I'd memorized all of the ways, all the turns in the trail, all the way to the base of the rock. But I just had figured out that when I was up there, I would see where I was going to go. I'd be able to see the trail. Turned out I wasn't so accurate about that, that the trails went off in lots of different directions. So Feeling pretty confident, I headed down, and I must say my dog was very confident in me and followed right along with me as we headed off. And I realized that something was happening wrong. You know, I would come to the to the places where I'd already had remembered left or right, and, and it didn't look like it did before, but I just had decided that, you know, that was okay because I was headed the opposite direction. Of course, it didn't look the same. As I kept on going, I realized that things were not looking at all the same, that I was seeing things I had not seen at all. And in fact, I was pretty convinced that at that point I was lost. Fortunately, right before I left on the run, I had taken out my phone and I put an anchor down. A little app on my phone had an anchor point. Now, I used to use a breadcrumb uh, GPS, wrist GPS, and that had long broken. And so I was basically running with my phone in my pocket that didn't have a breadcrumb uh, GPS system. If you're familiar with breadcrumbs, you're basically following the breadcrumbs back, you know, like Hansel and Gretel through the woods. And it would show you where you need to go next as you're going ahead. And it tells you if you've gotten off the breadcrumbs. But I didn't have that. So I dropped an anchor and headed off. I wasn't too worried because the person had reassured me that the trail would be clear. 
So as I was pulling out my phone to take a look at it, I realized that I was nowhere near my anchor point. And I started thinking, maybe it wasn't right. Maybe the anchor point was not showing correctly. Maybe the mountains were in the way or or something had interfered. And that the way I was going, maybe it was more right than I thought. So I started running a little bit and walking a little bit and wandering a little bit. And then I stopped and I remembered something that I had learned years ago. And what I'd learned years ago was that many people, when, they're, when they find them after they've been lost, they find them with a broken compass. The reason that the compass is broken is because people have convinced themselves that the compass is giving them the wrong reading, not that they are wrong that they start believing their own instincts, their own intuition, their own guesses more than the compass that they had brought with them to stay safe. And so I stopped for a minute and recalculated myself and decided that perhaps I should trust the GPS built into my phone more than I was trusting my eyes to tell me what to do. So as I started following the anchor point, uh, one of the things that I noticed was every time I went in either direction, I was moving further away from where I wanted to be. After thinking about that for a while, I realized I was actually on the opposite side of the mountain of where I needed to be. And so I had to go up a little bit and around a little bit, and then it began to be much more clear. And even then, it was a matter of wandering because the anchor was a stable place, but it was a winding route to get to that, that place. So after a long delay, I got back to a very worried spouse. My wife was on the front porch very concerned because the person who had told me about the trails had also gone on a run and had long returned, went past our house on the way up and past our house on the way back, having never seen me. So they had figured out that I had gotten lost. But I did make it back. And I was kind of pleased with myself for doing that because I realized I had not fallen into a trap that often happens to people. Lawrence Gonzalez wrote a book years ago that I absolutely loved, Deep Survival. Deep Survival talked about how people survived circumstances where they would get lost or or have problems, often in the wild. And he talked about this idea of bending the map. Now, bending the map is something that we all do on an everyday basis, much to our um, problems. They get us into problems all the time because we bend the map. So people, when they are out and get lost, begin to think that whatever information they have, if it doesn't fit what they want it to say, tend to disregard what it's telling them. So, for instance, if you're following along a map and you get to a certain place and you've been lost and you look over and the lake should be on your right-hand side, but there's no lake on the right-hand side, you surmise that it must have dried up, that it must be the drought season that is why it's not there, instead of recognizing that you're not where you thought you were on the map. You've bent the map to match where you want to be, not where you are. We do that on a regular basis throughout our life. I remember as we were orienteering a number of years ago in races, my team and I would often have to counter each other. We would talk about and argue about where we were on the map, assuming that all three of us, if we looked at it from different perspectives, might be able to come up with a realistic point of where we were when we were off course. And by the way, we were often 
off course. And so it was useful for us to kind of bring our consensus together to talk through each other and keep ourselves rational because we're often bending the map in order to make it fit our uh, understanding of where we are at that point. So how does this happen, this bending the map? And then we're going to talk about why that's a problem for us in life. Our brain as humans is built around shortcuts. We have so much information coming at us all at once that we have to have some ways of dealing with all that information flying in our face. We have to have some way of processing it and deciding is this important or is it unimportant. So our brain categorizes things places it in categories to help us keep track of it. So, you know, at some point in life, you didn't know what a dog was, and you see this creature, and you say, what is that? And somebody says, oh, that's a dog. Oh, a dog. And dogs wag their tails, and they like to be petted, and they love on us, and that's a great thing. That's the dog. And then you see another breed, and your mind goes, oh, that's a dog too. You don't have to ask again, oh, what is that? That's a dog. And so you keep them all in categories. The danger is, let's say you're out in the woods and and it's a mountain lion coming up to you and you say, oh, that's a dog, right? And suddenly we've bent the map. We've broadened the category out to something that shouldn't have been encompassed. Instead of the dog that we can pet and wags its tail and loves on us, it's the dangerous creature that's hunting us down. And so in some ways, these categories often get us into trouble. But for most of us, on a day-to-day level, they keep us straight and help us keep the world around us from overwhelming us. And this happens throughout life. You have categories for so many things. You know, you think about the people that you have in your they'll help me category. Well, now we know that sometimes people who fall into the they'll help me category aren't so helpful that they are preying on us, that they're taking advantage of us but they still fit into the category, which is how they slipped around us. That's the the trick of a con man, to fit into a category that you're already trusting. So one of the ways we get into trouble is when we apply the categories too quickly. Why would we do that, though? Well, as I said, we have lots of information coming our way, and we have to find some, some ways to do that. Our brain tries to be lazy because our brain only has so much resources, so much energy coming through, and it has to decide how to preserve that energy to use it for when it matters. So sometimes the places where it doesn't seem to matter, we allow it to go. More than that, we associate ourselves with certain categories, and we lock ourselves in in our own self-description, and then we're unwilling to let go of that. So while it makes shortcuts for us, these broad categories often shift around in front of us, and then we find ourselves having to reorganize ourselves around that. For instance, it's happening right now with politics. I'm not taking a political position here as much as saying that on both sides of the spectrum in the U.S., there tends to be a drift that's happening. Because for a long time, if you looked at people's beliefs, people's political beliefs around issues, they tended to be fairly in the middle. But over time, they've become more and more extreme and more and more separate from each other. Not so much because our beliefs as individuals have changed, but because we have bent the map around our political people. We have allowed the political parties to form the categories that we already had in our mind in new ways so that we drift to the sides. 
So that's why we find that when they poll on certain issues these days, the exact same party that polled very differently even five, six, ten years ago is trending a different direction now in ways that would never have been considered part of that party's platform before. And it's not that people in the party have evolved as much as the party has shifted, but they're a category. So if I call myself from some political position, whatever it might be, whether it's political party or interest group within that party or wherever else, once that group begins to shift, I keep saying that we, you fill in the blank, that's us, right? And whoever is leading that, we keep stepping with them towards the place where they're going. So we're letting them make the shifts and we bend our maps to keep up which means that we're oftentimes not very clear about why we're choosing the positions we continue to follow as much as we allow others to do that. Now, it doesn't just happen in politics. It happens in religion all the time. It happens in healthcare. It help, happens in diets. You, have you ever done this? Just, just if you have, just you know, think, yes, I have. Raise your hand mentally. But you've been on a diet, right? And you, you've been following that diet and then you see something and, and while, you know, you kind of justify that maybe that fits into your diet style, right? Your, your new way of eating, that'll fit in just a little bit. Maybe you just call it a cheat day, right? Or maybe you just say, well, just this once. And so you make a shift. You bend the map to fit in that food category rather than understanding that that's outside of what you were choosing to do. Or how about with exercise, Many people do the same thing with exercise. I can say, say it for myself. There's some days when I go, man, I'm just dragging. Maybe I need to let my body rest. So on a feeling level, I've decided that I'm too tired to put in the effort that I had already decided to do. I was bending my map to how I was feeling at that moment. In fact, one of the things I've done recently is to make it a much more objective rather than my subjective feeling about it, an objective feeling been dealing with my uh, heart rate variability, which is basically looking at the electrical activity around the heartbeat. It's not looking at how my pulse is looking, but the electricity around that. And the theory is that the more rested I am, the more rested my body, that gives a different variability than when I'm stressed and when my body is needing recovery time. And so in the morning, I take my morning readiness check uh, to see how my HRV, my heart rate variability is. And if it tells me objectively that I'm in the green, that means I am ready to keep on working moving forward, that I can do that. I can go exercise as hard as I was planning on it or harder than I was feeling like doing based on my bending the map around that. But sometimes I'm in the yellow, which means that I need to do maybe a little lighter work, a little active recovery as the term is, uh, a little lighter work that day to let my body rebound a little bit. And some of those days I've been feeling really good. And I look at that and realize that maybe subjectively I'm not the best judge of how my body needs to rest or be challenged. And then there are some days that I'm in the red. And I didn't realize I was in the red. I needed to take rest that day. So that's given me an objective way of challenging, me, challenging my subjective way of bending the map to fit how I was subjectively feeling and dealing with uh, my exercise routine. We do this 
in, throughout our lives is basically how we rationalize away. And it's an interesting word, rationalize, because it's really emotionalize away. Uh, we take something and we try to come up with the reasons why we should go a certain way. Many times that's about bending the map. So why does this matter? Well, it matters because when we are bending the map, we're always venturing off course somehow. In the woods, it gets us lost. In politics, it takes us drifting further and further and further away from finding a way of bridging this gap that we've created in our country. In diet or exercise or some other area in your life, it, it makes you uh, less effective because you tend to drift away from what you intended on doing. Our body does like those shortcuts, right? Not only that, but bending the map is about a confirmation bias versus confirming and challenging what we're seeing. Confirmation bias is the fact that we all tend to look for evidence that supports what we already believe rather than looking for evidence that challenges what we believe. We all fall prey to this. Whenever I'm reading a story that has my political bent, I'm all behind it. When I'm reading a story that challenges my political bent, even if it's based in fact and based in a well-reasoned argument, I'll reject that as, you know, that's useless or that's just propaganda or that's the other side without allowing it to challenge my view. Now, that's part of what I try to do is make sure that I'm hearing a well-rounded area so that I can challenge myself, make sure that I don't fall into confirmation bias as much. We all fall into confirmation bias. When you're having an argument with somebody, do you not try to find friends that will back up the opinion that you have? Do you not try to find reasons that prove what you already believe in the midst of that? So confirmation bias is one way we bend the map. We don't look for things to challenge us. That's part of what happens. You know, you're running along and you look at the map and you say, oh, I know the lake should be there, but it looks like this other thing, this other feature on the map is there. So that's good enough. Confirmation bias. I'm where I think I am, so I'll keep on going. And whenever we assume that, we're not working with where we are, but where we want to be at that moment. So when we happen to do that, we can make a shift. We can do the confirming and challenging. Look for things that both confirm and challenge your viewpoint. You don't always have to look for the opposite, but you can always look for something that's a balanced perspective something that both confirms, and then something that challenges, and look for both of them. Look at how they both might be there. This is really about creating a situational awareness. Situational awareness is when we turn off the autopilot on our brain and start looking around and saying, where am I? What's going on around me? It's one of the biggest training pieces for people who are trying to deal with a crisis situation around them, whether they're lost or there's some other crisis around them, to stop and say, okay, I've got to look and see. I've got to understand for myself what's going on. Many people who survived 9-11 survived because they didn't listen to the people around them who were following the other people around them, but decided to pay attention to what they were noticing for themselves, and they took action. Now, there are lots of people who nothing would have changed things. But there is another group that survived because they turned on their situational awareness and said, what do I need to take care of this? Not what is everybody else saying I need to do, not what everybody else is doing, but what do I need to do in order to deal with the situation? That's situational awareness. So then you can also ask yourself the question, do I still want to be here? Right? This is particularly true 
with politics and religion and other things that we can ask the question, is the group I'm with really reflecting my viewpoint or have I molded my viewpoint to this group? Have I bent the map to include myself in a group that I'm no longer a part of if I really think about what I believe? This is, to me, one of the most crucial pieces that's missing in today's dialogue. People are allowing themselves to be marched right away from what they core believe in order to stay in that group. We all have a need to ask the question, do I still belong here in whatever group it is that has our beliefs, whether it's politics, religion, or anything else, is this where I really want to be? Many groups, we watch them go from the mainstream to the fringe and take along a lot of people who fail to ask the question, do I still want to be here? Remember, this is a culture of media these days. Not only is it a culture of media, but it's individual media. It's feeding you what it thinks you want to see. Let's take Facebook, for instance. Many people spend a lot of time on Facebook, even use it for their main source of news. But Facebook builds itself on confirmation bias at its core. Facebook has a purpose, to keep your eyeballs in Facebook, to keep you scrolling downward, scrolling downward, to keep you clicking on the links, to keep you engaged in the Facebook platform. That is their goal. So why would they give you something that you would disagree with and click away from rather than feed you exactly what they know you want to see? So Facebook feeds us what we want to see, not what we need to see. It doesn't challenge us. It's after our eyeballs. There's no challenge in the eyeball loss. So Facebook is trying to construct the feed to keep you engaged by feeding you more and more of the same. But research shows that more and more of the same is not really more and more of the same as much as it's more and more of a drift to a direction. It's bending the map for you. So one of our tasks as individuals in this culture is to understand how the media is is coming our way. Because when we say media, it comes from many sources that are then combined into one feed that doesn't include all the sources for you. And to begin to look for the things that allow us to challenge where we are, to ask the question, do I still want to be here? And to ask the big question, am I bending my map? Am I where I think I am or have I created to make myself feel better about that? Be careful of confirmation bias and don't allow your map to be bent too far. It's going to happen. But our question as consumers is how far are we going to allow ourselves to bend the map? This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build your thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.